Can people in the balcony see these? If you can't, it's okay because there's a chance I'm not even going to use them. You think I'm joking? You know, there's times whenever I, uh, I have not planned to use them, but I just felt like I was supposed to bring them, and so I might use them to make my point, whatever that's going to be. But, um, you know, there's times whenever uh, there's a number of ways that I feel like God leads me in preparing uh, the message that we want him to speak to us. You know, a difference in River City Church is we don't want you to come on Sunday and hear about what God said or learn about what God did. We want you to come on Sunday and hear about what God is doing, hear about what God wants to say. And again, my experience in the week often flavors what that message will be. And, and this week it, it was a lot, probably, I mean, uh, it, it was in every way. We went to someone's house this week and um, in the midst of praying for them uh, and cancer, I just felt like God just downloaded the sermon right on me and I went into their kitchen, I tore off a paper towel and I literally just wrote out my sermon or at least an outline of my sermon, and I thought I was kind of done until I sat down last night to actually make it make sense. And so I have a whole bunch of thoughts that I hope will come together to make sense for you this, this morning. Um, you know, when I was growing up, one of the things that my mom did, because my dad was a spender, was she cut corners all the time in every way. I need room here. These guys are taking my space. I'll just move over until I use them. But anyway... Um, you know, she would cut corners. To, she was like the thrifty one in the family. My dad was a spender. He spoiled us. It was horrible. And she would just always have, but she was really, like she would save styrofoam cups and stuff like from McDonald's. Seriously. We'd go through McDonald's or Burger King or whatever, and she would like save the cups that we had and the straws and reuse them. That is the truth. And she would do all these kinds of things. And one of the things that she would do is that whenever, we would never get to drink like, like we would have milk basically all the time or water. And um, it wasn't that we were poor or anything. It's just that, you know, this is going to be one of the ways we're going to save money. And when it was, when like, a treat for us is when we got to have soda. And it wasn't like Coke soda. It was like this brand called Czech Cola. I was like, you know, back in the day, they didn't have, like, Publix brand generics. They had, like, bad generics, like, it was bad. All the generics were bad back then. And Czech Cola was like Winn-Dixie's brand of Coke. And I remember tasting Coke for the first time and being like, oh my gosh, fireworks went off in my mouth. This is what it's supposed to be like. <laughs> you know, and, and the same kind of thing was, was true with shoes. And, and we would always get what we would call May Pops. And May Pops were like the generic brand of Chuck Connors or like Nike. It's like they would have the swoosh kind of. And I remember just walking to school, just always dreading what my friends were going to say. And so early on in my life, like when I started working and making money, I was like, oh, I'm going to have real Coke. Thank you very much. I'll take four of those, you know, or buy the expensive. And that has just transferred, you know, into my life. And my poor wife has inherited that. And I, I am a consumer that believes if it costs more, it's probably better. <laughs> That's just the baggage that I have. But, you know, in that mentality in my life, I've found, like, oh, my kids are going to, they're going to have the best shoes. They deserve the best shoes. Or I'm going to have this. Or I, I deserve that. And I have this mentality of, you know, I, 
I kind of, I'm entitled to these things. I've suffered through Chet Cola and May Pops and my mom giving me haircuts my whole life. I shouldn't have said that one. Because some of you are probably wondering if she cut my hair. She's dead. She's dead. So she didn't. <laughs> but um, hopefully you're not thinking that someone else did. Well, anyway. But we, have, we get this entitlement mentality, and it kind of rubs over into our Christian life. And we think because Jesus said things like, I've come to bring peace, or I want you to have peace, or peace to the world, and all these verses that we quote out of context, we believe that somehow um, we're entitled to a lifestyle that is reflective of comfort, because we associate peace with comfort, I think, in our culture. Don't we? I mean, if things are copacetic in your life, if things are peaceful in your life, there's, you know, you're not stressed, you don't have anxiety, things are good with your family, your kid, your finances, your marriage, your sex life, you know, everything's good. Everything's good. And that is kind of what we sense. I have a sense of peace right now. And so we begin to buy things or work towards this environment of peace in our life. And, And it's not, that's not bad. That's not the bad. And, I'm, and I hopefully this, 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 this morning as I communicate with you, I'm, I'm not meaning, meaning to make you feel guilty about how you live life. What I'm wanting to do is give you a biblical understanding of what peace is. The peace that Christ has said he gives to us. Well, what is that all about? In context of a time that we are living in that should feel like everything but peace. And so it's about having peace and understanding the peace that Christ has for us. He says that in the context of him also saying, actually, I didn't come to bring peace, but division. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword is what Jesus says. So what's that all about? You can't have a war going on and at the same time a sense of peace that he promises, can you? Well, I think that we can. I think that, I think that we He wants us to. But I think we get them mixed up in a way that we act like our goal or our, that God's desire for us is to have this peaceful, happy, joyful, no stress, no anxiety, nothing's going wrong, life, comfortable life. And that becomes our ambition, our desire. And we work towards that. In the Christian church, we work towards that end. All the time justifying it with, well, God wants good things for his children. God wants us to have peace. God, doesn't he, Antley? He does. But not at the expense of disengaging from the war we're called to fight right now that will be everything but peace, that will be unpleasant, that will be at times be very uncomfortable. Jesus says in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. My peace is. I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Jesus communicates a peace that is acquired by his followers here. This is just before he leaves them. And and it's communicated as a kind of a tranquil state of the assured soul and its salvation in Jesus Christ. It fears nothing, confident that all things experienced in this life, allowed our, 
in this life that is either allowed by God or attacked from or is attacked from the enemy cannot disrupt the assurance we have that we belong to Christ. That's the peace that the Bible talks about, that Jesus is talking about, that regardless of what's happening around us, physically, emotionally, in any way, in our families, whatever, regardless of what's happening in that realm, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing can change the reality that we belong to Jesus, that he has paid for our sin, and that we are going to have him, not because of what's going around us or what we're doing, but because of what he has done for us. Paul says in Romans, he picks up on this, well, in Ephesians, it talks about this. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who are for, formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. And then Paul, therefore, in Romans 5, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into his grace, this grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. So this peace is talking about our state of mind as followers of Christ, as people who have been purchased, who are far off, who have been purchased by the blood of Christ, and that we have a confidence in that. That's a done deal. It's not changing as our behavior changes. It's not changing as our circumstances change. It's not changing as we slip up in sin. It doesn't change. It's a done deal. And Christ wants us to know that because he knows that we're going to screw up. He knows that our lives are going to continue to be jacked up and messy. He just knows that. And he wants us to be assured that we're okay still. I still have you. You know, in the, in the, the Roots course, I answered a question. I'm not going to get into this now, but the question was raised, you know, can you lose your salvation? And I said, that's the wrong question. The question is, do you think Jesus can lose you? All of us think that we've probably done things that, that have driven Jesus away. I know that I've felt that way. But that's the wrong question. The question, the right question is, do you think that Jesus can lose you? That once he has you, once he has you, once he's bought you with his blood, once you come underneath the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, once you become a part of his family, do you think that you're the one sheep that can really get away from him? I'm not going to answer that question because it's a big theological deal. That's just my take on it. The reality is, as Jesus wants, my first point is this, peace that Jesus talks about is an assurance of our salvation that has been bought by him, that is once and for all not to be worried about. You know, that's why we emphasize soaking houses, because we forget. We forget about that reality. And we start to live like we have to start doing stuff to make God love us. We have to start living or behaving a certain way. When we, and, and we go to soaking and we say, just be in his presence. Just spend time with God, listening to him. Listening to what he has to say for you. You know what you're going to hear? I love you. I'm delighted in you. You're great. You're perfect. I made you like this. You're wonderful. I adore you. You're freaking awesome. You're going to hear words of affirmation and adoration from God when you spend time with him. That's what he communicated when he sent Jesus. And that's what he communicates when we spend time with him. 
When we spend time in the Father's presence and his love, he wants us to know more than anything that he loves us. That's what allows us to go fight the war, to live in difficult circumstances, to have attack come on our lives in many forms. And remember, I belong to Jesus. That hasn't changed. But again, we take this entitlement for peace to another level. We say, well, actually, God wants the best for my children, for me to protect my children. So I need this car that's 57 feet long and weighs 37,000 tons. And if I hit another car of this size, the third world war will start. And so we justify these things. I drive big cars. I'm not saying, again, I'm I'm not trying to, I'm just making a point here. We live in certain communities or in certain kinds of houses or we, we do all these things trying to assure a peace and a security with our goal in mind or our justification being this first. And we're taking it out of context because we're not promised any of those things. None of those things are promised in the Bible to us. God doesn't promise us that we'll be happy. God doesn't promise us that we'll be comfortable. And God did not send Jesus to bring peace on earth. He sent Jesus to bring his kingdom on earth and to bring peace between us and him. The consequence of us putting all of our energy and time to self-preservation and peace in the wrong way is that we forget that we're actually at war. We forget that there are people dying. We forget about people in Costa Rica, that there's 10-year-old girls who are going to be prostitutes, that there are girls who walk up and down the street that are 14, 15, and 16 who are prostitutes because we're comfortable. We're after peace, and we forget because we're not experiencing the war that there's a war going on. We forget the three other legs of our church. Intimacy with the Father is one of them. But we forget, oh, what about evangelism? What about ministry to the poor? Why do we need to minister in the power of the Holy Spirit? Because there's a war going on. There's a war going on. Three-fourths of the things that we call identity markers in our church are about us going and doing and being a part of bringing God's kingdom to bear on this earth in real, tangible ways. There's another kind of peace that the Bible talks about. In the Old Testament, we see it very clearly. It was a peace that occurred when God's power broke into the affairs of man, confronting the forces that opposed him, imprisoned and oppressed his people. In the absence of this power or his peace, there was war. Okay, if you were in a time of peace, it meant that you were not being shot at. Well, they didn't have guns, that you were not being Chase around with swords and spears and fireballs and other stuff that wasn't fun. That's what peace was then. It was a real, tangible peace. But there's also another meaning of peace that the Jews used, and it was called shalom. This word peace in the Old Testament means shalom. And, and basically that word means that uh, a wholeness, that uh, things are right, that we have a well-being about ourselves that things are as they were created to be is the best definition. So in the Garden of Eden, there was shalom. In heaven, there will be shalom. Perfect. We'll be back with God as we were intended to be. But in the meantime, there's, there's not shalom. 
There's not peace because we're at war with an enemy. And there are times where God will bring his peace and he'll break in, his kingdom will break into our lives and restore order. And this is what happened to the Israelites when they were in bondage in Egypt. Ruled by, they're being ruled by the occult powers um, and the cruel system of Pharaoh's government. And the gods of, of Egypt, the Pharaoh's rule and the armies kept Israel in slavery. But then God's kingdom came and he brought his shalom, he brought his peace, he brought his, his effort, his force, his kingdom to bear in the situation. Moses spoke and the God of Israel opposed Egypt and two powers were locked in battle. Egypt crumbled, Israel rose. The same thing happened when Israel defeated Canaan. And then God anointed David as king to lead his people. And he defeated every army that opposed the nation of Israel. And it was said that the peace of David's rule was synonymous with the peace that came in the kingdom of God. It was the greatest blessing that Israel wanted. And it's what they looked forward to in the Messiah. Because what happened is David screwed up and then a bunch of other kings started screwing up and the peace left. And God's power shifted away from the nation of Israel to other nations that he rose, that rose up and conquered his nation because Israel was being, they were basically screwing them over. And he let these other nations conquer them. They went into exile. And then all the prophets after that start talking about a Messiah that's going to come and bring peace, bring shalom, bring hope, bring the kingdom of God to bear. In Isaiah 54.10, through the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. And this was written when they were in exile, having lost everything, their families, their children, their land, everything. And Isaiah is telling them that a time will come when the Messiah will rescue them from their captors and the land will be restored to them and they will be set free. And we read this in Isaiah 9, 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Jesus The prince of peace will govern his people in shalom, or as it should be, as it was before we fell into sin, and as it will be when we walk with the Father in heaven again. And the promise of Jesus is this, that we are to seek his kingdom in a way, we are to ask him to send his kingdom in a way, so that in the midst of this war, with our bodies, with our families, whatever, whatever way we're being attacked, that we bring shalom. We bring, we want his restoration to come, not comfort. If I get cancer and I'm dying on my bed, don't come pray for comfort. Pray that the cancer will go away. Pray that the enemy will be defeated. Pray anything. I don't want to be at peace in that situation. I don't want to be at rest in that situation. I want to be angry in that situation. I want to be advancing in that situation. I want to be aggressive in that situation. But we've been so used to pursuing comfort that we forget there's a war. And so when we pray for people who are suffering, it's almost like we're praying for our comfort because we're uncomfortable with what they're going through. And we don't want to go through that. You know, the kingdom of God is really what sets us straight and reminds us what our battle is, who we are, what separates us as Christians. 
In his book, um, Start Here, Don Williams says this. He says, when you cried out to God, and it might have been a Billy Graham revival, when you're watching TV at late night, when you got to the end of your rope, or whatever, and you knew that Jesus was the one, you cried out to him, no matter where you are, no matter who you are, you were delivered, and this is, these are his words, you were delivered from Satan's kingdom and catapulted into the kingdom of God. And Colossians 1, 13 and 14 says this, for he rescued us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. That's what a Christian is. Someone who has gone from here to here by the work of Jesus Christ. As I look back, when I became a Christian, I didn't hear any of that. I heard like, all right, I heard like you're a new creation, the old has gone and new has come. But then it's like, okay, but now that you're a new creation, you start reading the Bible and you start praying, you need to go to church, you need to do this, you need to do that. Oh, and by the way, you got to stop doing these other things. You can't like be doing this with girls, Antley. you can't be drinking, you can't be doing the drugs, you can't be doing this, you can't be doing this, you can't be doing this. And that's what a Christian was. That's what I was told a Christian was. And when you're doing these things and not doing these things, you'll have a peace. That's how you can tell. Like you'll be cool and comfortable and everything will be good. I just, that just never panned out in my life, ever. I just couldn't do it. I still can't do all those things and not do the things I'm not supposed to do. But no one talked about this cosmic transference that had just occurred. I made up that phrase. Isn't that good? Cosmic transference. That's for the camera. Cosmic transference. That the people listed under the dominion of Satan has just gone down by one, me. Literally. That's what happened when I became a Christian. And that the people associated with the kingdom of God just went up by one, me. That's what happens when we become Christians. We go from light, from dark to light. But no one talked about this. And so today, my point is this, that actually being a Christian has a lot more to do with bringing peace rather than having peace. Being a Christian has a lot more to do with you bringing peace than having peace. Satan attacks our state of peace in order to stop us from bringing God's peace to others. So our goals as a church and as Christians wrongfully have become achieving peace for ourselves rather because we know that Jesus has achieved that. We can't add anything to that or take anything away, but we pursue this comfort in our peace at the expense of bringing peace to others. When Christ said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do do I give to you, and do not let your hearts be troubled or fearful, he was talking about a peace from the worries of this world so that we would not be distracted and we could wage war against the enemy. That we can take what he has meant for evil and turn it into good. Why would he not want us to worry about the troubles of this world? Because he did not come to bring peace to this world. These things I've spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation. But take courage, I've overcome the world. And then in Matthew, do not think that I've come to bring peace on the, on the earth. 
I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Jesus came to catapult us from one kingdom to the other. And he wants us to do the same. He wants us to be a catapult, bringing people from, this is where I would use my board. From here to here. From death to life. From darkness to light. He wants us look at, to stand in the gap, to bring people from to here. It wouldn't matter if I run on the boards because my handwriting's so bad and I'd embarrass myself with my spelling, it'd just be a distraction. So just use your imagination. But this is what God wants for us. This is what God wants for us, to be that catapult for people. He wants us to do the same. Understanding that nothing, nothing, nothing can shake us from being in this place. That we are secure here, once and for all. We don't have to worry of going back over there. We might, like, do dumb stuff that looks like we're over there, but we're not. We never. Once we're here, we're here. And it gives us a freedom, then, to go for it. To risk. To to go for it. I mean, worst case scenario is you get killed or die. Because we have that peace, though, it doesn't mean that we won't be attacked or that our life will be easier, comfortable. Because we know that the kingdom, the one who rules this kingdom, this world, will always attack us in that one and the one that we're presently in. Because he wants to distract us. He wants to take us out of this position of being a catapult. We belong to Jesus and he knows that. But what he can prevent us from doing is being engaged in this war, in this battle. It's not peacetime. It's wartime. We are in the middle of a war. And when we're attacked, it could be our marriage. It could be our job. It could be our finances. It could be our health. It could be our children could be a number of things where we're being attacked or we're being distracted. And our prayer is not, Lord, just bring your joy, bring your peace, unless it's bring your shalom, bring your kingdom to bear on this person's body, in their life, in their family, in their job, so that things would be as they should be, so that the cells in our body would be restored and be as they should be, as they will be in heaven without cancer, without disease. Bring your shalom, bring your war, bring your battle, Father, to bear on my job experience so that I will be able to provide as I was supposed to, as I am supposed to. Every area of our life, we can either allow God to bring his kingdom, ask him to bring his kingdom to bear, or we can choose to avoid it and to seek comfort, to get things back like they were, rather than as they should be. I thought of a picture, kind of now, I'm not going to draw it, even though I picked up a pen. This is the next piece. Just imagine I was drawing this. You know, we're in a foxhole. You're in the middle of a war, and people are shooting at you. 
you know, and, you know, one, one's over here and one's over there, and there's bullets flying everywhere, and you're in this foxhole, and you're in this battle, you're in this war, and you're ducking, you're getting really bothered, but you're fighting back, you're shooting back, and you're in this, this hole with this other dude, this other person, and you can tell they're starting to get kind of bothered by this idea of bullets being shot at them, and their life being threatened, and the anxiety and the stress that's coming from that, and so they look over to you, and they're like, hey, hey, I'm, I'm thinking about raising the white flag just so the war will stop. I just want peace. I just want peace. And so you're like, are you crazy? And they're like, I'm raising the white flag. So they raise the white flag, and before you know it, the bullet stopped flying. He said, see, the war's over. And then they march down, and they take you captive, and they take you to their camp and beat the stew out of you or whatever they're going to do. And and you look at your buddy and you're like, this is not freedom. This is the absence of bullets flying, but we are still in the war. Or it would be the same thing as you're shooting at the guy, you're shooting at the guy and the guy looks at you and says, don't worry, just be peaceful. Don't worry about it. It's okay. It's okay. You're going to be okay. Don't worry about it. It's okay. It's going to pass. The bullets will stop flying. Don't worry about it. You're like, pick up your freaking gun and shoot at him. <laughs> Things are going to stay the same until we defeat the enemy. That's the reality that we are living in. Things will stay the same until Jesus returns. And we, in the midst of this time between the Garden of Eden and when we are in heaven, are called to engage in a battle. And our weapon that Jesus has given us is the Holy Spirit. And we bring his authority, he says. We bring his power into this battle. You know, and when T. Mac, who had these horrific allergies, is healed, It's because the kingdom of God is breaking through. It's when a woman's lump or whatever that was is gone. Things are restored. Shalom is made in her body. God's kingdom breaks through. You know, when Laura's Laura's mom, a long time ago, got cancer when we were just married, she had the worst kind of brain cancer you can get, super fast growing. Had a seizure. She was like 52, 49 when she got it. We just, we couldn't believe it. But what happened is that there was a sense of urgency. And like everyone in the family just got engaged and we were just operating and functioning at a different level, a level of intensity. You know, it's like there was no rest for anything. We were on the internet reading about it. We were were going to the doctor with her, asking the doctor, getting second opinions, third opinions, taking her to MD Anderson to get the best treatment, doing all this stuff. Because we felt like we were in a war, we were in a battle. When you're in a war, and you know you're in a war, you act differently. You're, on, you're aggressive. You're on the offensive. You're thinking, I might get killed here, so I better live a certain way. I better, better do a certain thing. You know, we're not worried about what TV shows, TV shows we're going to watch at night anymore. We're worried about what really matters. War heightens things in our life. When we know we're in a war, we live differently. As opposed to when we live in a time of peace, we kind of, what happens when we get peaceful, things get peaceful, we kind of let our guard down. So we become vulnerable to the enemy. We kind of slow down. We don't really need God anymore because we have everything that we want or we think we want and need. We're not being directly attacked, so things are okay. When we get, you know, spiritually fat, we're not ready for the battle when it comes. And so when it does, we pray for peace rather than shalom 
Okay. Let's stand. You know, the title of this uh, sermon is War and Peace. And I asked Paul if he'd ever read the book, and he said he read the first page, but got the Russian names confused him so much that he just quit reading. So I thought, well, there's no way that I'm going to try and read that book then. I heard it's a big one, too. I heard it's, like, thick. If it's not on Cliff Notes, let me know. But um, War and Peace. <laughs> I love this. I'm going to use these every week. War and Peace. We have peace in Christ. Do you have peace in Christ? Do you know that you have peace in Christ? Do you know that you belong in that kingdom, that you're part of that kingdom, that your life is secure in that kingdom? Because if you don't, maybe today, that part of this talk that's for you is for you to come forward and listen to the Father, reminds you of that reality. Because you've had a rough week, or a rough month, or a rough couple of years, and you need to hear him say, you still belong to me. You can't get away. I'll never let you go. I would encourage you, or maybe this is the first time you've heard this message of what a Christian really is. And you want to come forward and, and receive that gift that comes from Jesus Christ. of Becoming a part of his kingdom. would really encourage you to come forward for either one of those reasons. But the other reason I think that this talk is on my heart is because many of us, are so focused on comfort that we've forgotten to fight the war. And folks, there are people in our body that need us to be fighting for them. There are people who have diseases that need us to be praying for them to be healed. There are people who don't have husbands and wives who need us to move alongside of them in real practical ways. We are in a community that desperately needs us to be Jesus Christ to be a catapult in multiple ways. We're at war. We're at war. And people around us are getting killed. They're overwhelmed. And so I think there are a number of people that God wants to speak to today and remind you, don't worry about it. Don't be fearful. You're secure in me. Now go fight. Go risk. Go risk. 